I hope that uh, you have looked forward to 2019 with a lot of uh, anticipation of a brand new year and uh, maybe even a, a new year of challenge that is, uh, lies before us. But one thing I want us to just to maybe to embrace or understand is that Jesus in his life never played it safe. And I think that we as Christians have a tendency to do the Christian life safe. We try to be engaged in relationships and uh, things even at church or among family, and we try to be as safe as possible because we don't want to be rejected. We'd rather just get along. But you're going to see today in this text that we're going to look at that Jesus was not playing it safe. He comes into his hometown and he says some things that literally they're wanting to push him off a cliff. And so when we look at this passage, it might be easy to say this doesn't relate to me, but it definitely does. And uh, as we look at this series out of the Gospel of Luke, I love the way Tony has kind of set the framework for this. And as he's helped us to look at some of the prophecies of Scripture that foretold of the coming Messiah, the coming of Jesus. And today I have the privilege of being able to continue that by looking at uh, Luke chapter 4. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward and they have Bibles. And if you do not have a Bible, please raise your hand and they'd be more than happy to give you one. As you grab one of those Bibles, let me just say my name is Randy Hunt. I happen to be Tony's father. And one of the things that I see in this text is like what happened last week. You may have resonated with the wilderness experience that Jesus went through of the temptations. Because God knows we've all had a share of temptations, right? We've all had those times when if it wasn't for the power and the work of God in our lives, we may have just given up. But in Luke chapter 4, we're going to find that Jesus now comes to his hometown. He's been building up quite a reputation as an as a excellent communicator. He has ways of speaking scripture. And uh, of course, to so many people, they have yet to attach that this is God incarnate that is speaking among them. And he is giving something very challenging to them wherever he goes. And so now, if you would look at Luke chapter 14, page uh, 718 in the Bibles uh, that, uh, that you received. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. So in other words, what was happening in the wilderness experience is carrying over. And the news about him is spreading throughout the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. 
the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and to recover the recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolls up the scroll. He gives it back to the attendant and he sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fastened on him. And they begin by saying to them, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Now just think of that for a minute. You're okay with what's been said so far. But when Jesus said today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, that's like sucking the air right out of the room. Because to them, they knew what this passage of Isaiah represented. And for Jesus to say that today this is fulfilled changes a lot of things. All who spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? They asked. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. In other words, while he was there, some of his first miracles. So a lot of stuff, a lot of miracles, people being healed, and a lot of the things that you see that he's talking about, the anointing, the uh, preaching good news to the poor, proclaiming the freedom for prisoners and so on. This is gaining momentum. He said, I tell you the truth, he continued, no prophet is accepted in his hometown. You may think that that's just an add-in. But what happens after that is going to show this isn't just an add-in. I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. And there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, but to a widow in Zarephath, in a region of Sidon. And there were many Israel in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They stood up, they got up. They drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him down the cliff. I love this next verse. But he just walks right through the crowd and went on his way. This text really reveals a lot to me personally because of hometown challenges. Some of you, as you look at, at the whole idea of Nazareth, Nazareth is not a place that is going to have Airbnbs. It's not a place that people are looking forward to going to. It's not a bad place. It's just out of the way. It's up on a hill, unless you want an Airbnb that has a great view, which my wife would want to have this great view. But it's just a small town, maybe four, 600 people. Could be one whole family um, of aunts and uncles and cousins and second cousins and, 
and friends of cousins and so on that are living in this small town. And Jesus shows up. You would think this is going to be a great homecoming. Hometown boy shows up. But growing up in a small town, you can't get away with stuff because people have watched you grow up. You see, little Jesus was maybe working in the carpenter shop and his dad gave him some wood and a hammer and some pegs and he started creating things. Just a good carpenter boy would show up in the synagogue being raised by a great father. But there was, for some of us, our past isn't all that great. When we grew up, when I grew up, there were a lot of things that I did that I wished I hadn't done. I'm seeing a lot of today the people who have posted stuff in Facebook or Snapchats or Instagram or Twitter have things that come back to haunt them later in life because they have put things that they think could be deleted, but it's still in cyberspace. And soon it comes back up on a screen. Wouldn't you just love that you could take and just erase all of those bad decisions you made when you were younger? And people would be excited when you showed up in your hometown. But in the case of Jesus... As he comes in, people know him. They've been hearing about their boyhood kid showing up. And so I'm sure in the synagogue that day that um, as, let me give you just the order of service of a synagogue so you can you could understand what was happening. Was that in order for a synagogue to be set up, there had to be at least 10 men. So that day, 10 men are gathered along with who knows how many other people, because it does not say. It doesn't really matter. But the fact is that uh, they start the service off by reading the Shema. The Shema is found in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. Hear, or Shema, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So they start right off with reciting that every service. That's followed by the uh, prayers, set prayers. They might have even had a little bit of a prayer book where these prayers are being recited. That's then followed by the reading from God's law, the Torah, followed by the reading of the prophets. That then was setting up expositions from speakers, from teachers. Can you imagine, you can maybe tolerate one message on a Sunday morning, but what if the minute that Tony gets done, Joel gets up and he speaks? That's followed by Matt. That's followed by Nick. That's followed by, and by this time you're going, holy smokes, how many of these guys we got to listen to? But what these men would do is that they would tie things together. They would kind of build this message from the things that they read. 
And so Jesus is one of those speakers, one of those teachers. Only the best of the best is now going to stand. And he reads from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 2. This passage refers to a prophetic figure, the messianic king who's going to come and what he's going to set up. And it says right there that that the spirit of the Lord is going to be on him, that he's going to anoint him to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops just at those two verses. But what's the rest of the story? It's the rest of the story that that they understood. It's almost like Jesus, you got to continue on because they know this is referring to a messianic king. Because it says that once later on in in chapter 61, it talks about, it refers to that, uh, that Israel would be set up now. And that they would be overseeing the world. They would be like in control. They are now the chief nation. And all the foreigners would bow down now and serve them. So that's what they're looking for. That's what they're excited about. So at the reading of this passage, it's, it brings back, oh, how long we desire to see the king. And when Jesus says, today, this reading, this prophecy has been fulfilled at your hearing. You know how it's when somebody says something at first, it just flies right over your head and you don't get it? I think that's kind of what's happening because you see at this point, there's not this, they're just, they're kind of in awe, they're, they're hung on the words that he's been speaking. Their eyes are glued to him. So to hear that, at first it's like, okay, you know, and they give him some grace. But as he continues on, it's interesting. He said, then he rolled up the scroll. He gives it back to them and to the attendant. He sits down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue are fastened on him. And he begins to say then to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Look what comes next. All spoke well of him. And they were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. But notice what they say. Is this Joseph's son? So what's so big about that? How can somebody teach like he teaches, to say what he says, and not be coming from some head rabbi who's very learned very engaged in scripture. Because the messianic king is going to come from from a great lineage, they're thinking. It's sure not going to come from some carpenter. But if they just read scripture, seeing the prophecies, they know what's all happening. So at this point, they're struggling with the thought of Jesus' background. Because they're expecting something else. And if he's truly a messianic king, this doesn't fit. But as he goes on, he said, surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Do here in your hometown 
what we have heard that you did in Capernaum. And then he said, I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Here's where it has teeth for me. When I had went away to Denver, Colorado, it was there that I heard the gospel for the first time. Yeah, Jesus was a popular name in my school. I heard a lot of people use the word Jesus Christ. And I've always wondered, you know, why is it that Jesus' name gets used like that rather than somebody else's name? But that name was used, but it was in Denver that I come face to face with a gospel message of God's love for me. And I knew that growing up in a small town where everybody knew you, there were teachers, there, were, there was the principal, there were other friends, there were parents, there were people that I worked with who knew the bad side of me. And even Leanne's own brother, when Leanne and I started to date, he said, you don't know what he's like. Because you see, my past was now driving who I, am, who I am in the eyes of everybody there. But when I put my faith in Christ and I come back to Phillipsburg, it didn't take long before people were talking about and said, this guy Randy Hunt's back in town, and, uh, but he's got religion. And some of my best friends who I used to party with all the time called me up and said, hey, Randy, let's go party. Let's go get drunk. And uh, I said, guys, I've come to faith in Christ, and he's changing my life, and I just am not connecting with that anymore. They go, yeah, we heard you got religion. And I realized that all of my past was clouding the eyes of everyone, and they were seeing me as I once was, not as who I am. We started working with a group of kids that led, built to about 75-plus meeting in our house a couple of times a week. And I would take these kids out, and God was just doing some amazing things among them. I mean, we would go to different churches in small towns, and, and people were excited about this group called Reach Out coming to their town. We'd have the young people, they would all sing. We'd sing some, uh, some worship songs, and, and then we'd have some testimonies from the kids about what God was doing in their life. And then I would bring a message. At the end of those services, we would give an invitation. And it was amazing how God moved in such a way that so many of the church would come and be at an altar to pray and give their lives to Christ or to renew their faith. And all of us, we started praying about doing something like that in Phillipsburg. It's great out here in other towns, but right here in Phillipsburg, I wonder how they would receive it. Well, it didn't take long when we had said that we were going to do this, that the ministerial alliance was having a fit because we were known as a cult. And uh, we don't want this kind of stuff to be done. We went ahead and had the rally, a little gathering. 
songs, testimonies. One of the testimonies from one of the young guys, his mom come up to me afterwards, she said, I have never been this embarrassed. She said, you're nothing but a hypocrite and you're ruining my kid. I would rather have him drunk and on drugs than to have this Jesus stuff you're talking about. And I started to see that, you know, it's great outside the walls or the city limits of Phillipsburg, Kansas, people receiving what these young people were saying. But in my hometown, people couldn't get past my past. They still were hooked into what it was what I did as a teenager. I'm really thankful to this day that we didn't have cell phones back when I was in school. Um, because I'm afraid of what people might still be able to get a hold of today. And people would draw that, bring that stuff up just to remind you of who you are. This is what you did. So when we think in fun and just among friends, that that's just where it's going to stay, but we've got a cyber world around us that we'll just capture it and hold it there for a long, long time. Matter of fact, for the rest of your life. And it's available for the enemy just to bring up and show and to help people to begin to see this is who you are. Jesus wasn't that kind of kid because he was God incarnate in man. So it wasn't his bad mistakes. He was God. But he still lived like a teenager. And so for people to see this in their hometown, this, this young man coming in and, oh yeah, we're captured by his teaching, but his dad's only was a carpenter. So this doesn't fit. When I start to think about what Jesus was teaching, everybody is receiving it. They're responding at least to a point. But in verse 23, when Jesus gives this quote of a proverb, and when, he, when he says that, surely you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself, do here in your hometown what we have heard you, that you did in Capernaum. In other words, they're wanting to see the show. It's kind of what they, they know what he's been doing away from there. But now they want to see him do it there. They want to see all these maybe healings, or they want to see miracles. They want to see, uh, you know, demons cast out that they've heard. And so maybe there's all of this that, that they're kind of wanting some of that. Where they're wanting him to do what he's done in other places. But he says, I tell you the truth. No prophet is accepted in his hometown. Jesus knew these people couldn't get past who he was as a kid. This isn't Jesus, son of God. They're not going to give him 
that kind of a name tag. And after that, what Jesus says next is where everything falls apart. He said, I tell you the truth, no prophet is except in his hometown. I assure you that there were many widows. So he starts to give two stories, one about the prophet Elijah and one from the prophet Elisha. These two prophets were speaking during some of the lowest times in Israel's history. People were not responding. There's famine in the land. And when Jesus begins to give the example found in 1 Kings 17, when when Elijah is sent to provide for a widow at Zarephath, it's like fingernails going down a blackboard because what Jesus was saying is that, yeah, there was all of these widows who were desperate in need of help during the times of famine in Israel, but God went somewhere else. And that went against their whole stereotype of God's control or God's, that, that God's family, his children are the Israelites. And Jesus is talking about now going outside of that. And when he talks about the Elisha in 2 Kings 5, here's a commander of a Gentile army who has leprosy. When that man who is rich and and is powerful comes to Elisha's house, he sends a servant And he asked the servant, just tell him to go dip in the river seven times in the Jordan River, and he'll be healed. Well, Naaman says, the audacity for you to tell me to go without him even coming down. That's one. Strike one. Strike two. Jordan River dip seven times and I'm going to be healed. So he walks off angry. The servant of Elisha goes running after him and convinces him, listen, you need to do it. So Naaman goes and he dips seven times and he's healed. He's taken by the transformation in his life. But here's the thing. There was all kinds of lepers in Israel. But God chose to go outside of that. Outside the family. And to do a work to heal a leper. A Gentile leper. On one hand you have the rich. On the other hand you have the poor. One looks to be only desperate, the widow. But somehow Naaman knew, inside my soul is dark. I'm not in a good place. And he couldn't pull his commander card out. 
and says, I have, you have the right to come out and, and to touch me so I can be healed. It's like God knew Naaman needed to come to a point of desperation. He needed to be in a place where he was willing to trust by faith the words that Elisha spoke. And so these people in that synagogue that day, they, they understand what he's talking about, and they were angry. How dare Jesus say to us that we need to be desperate? How dare Jesus accuse us of not being worthy of God doing something among us? And Jesus is speaking right to the heart. Not a safe message. And we see the result of the message he preaches. They want to take him out and they want to kill him. I think he's also telling them, he says, you're, you're wanting me to do these signs and miracles like I've like been doing other, other places, but you're not going to receive this. It's not going to change. Because somehow he refers back to the fact, you know me as the little kid who grew up in Nazareth. And I'm God. I'm Jesus. And I'm here to do the work of my Father. I'm here to set you free. I'm here to bring deliverance. You see, they couldn't see themselves as being that bad of people. Oh, how I looked at those people in the town of Phillipsburg. Those pastors who didn't want that rally to happen. You see, they were looking at their own goodness. And they were listening to too many people who were telling them, you don't know what that kid's like. And sometimes the people who give us the hardest time in our spiritual lives are people we know, our family. And some of us in this room have been rejected by family. You've had people who have turned their back on you because of your faith. So there are three things I want to take away. And before I even say that, Jesus, as we look in the Gospels, Jesus never returns to his hometown. I don't know if that would have been a continued insult, but the fact is they wanted to kill him. And he just walks right through them. But we find that the ministry, and we'll see over the next several weeks, the ministry that Jesus has among us, of, the way, of what it does in people's lives. But what are three maybe takeaways that you and I could look at that applies to us? And the first one is this. There are going to be those in your life who will never forget your past. 
There will be those who will never forget your past. Your family. Maybe some church leaders. Maybe people in your oikos. Here's where I think we get safe. If for two years in your oikos, you've been building these relationships, if you've not yet begun to share your story with them, you're playing it too safe. And we play it too safe because we don't want to face rejection. There are so many things in life we do, what others do, because we don't want to face rejection. But the news, the example that Jesus has for us is that there are just going to be people who will never accept the changes in your life. They will never forget your past. And I'm so thankful that my life is not defined by my past. Are you thankful that your life is not defined by your past? Because there's probably not a one of us in this room who hasn't done stupid things. And you wish you could, you hadn't made them. I mean, some things, you know, in small town, I couldn't get past my parents. It's called the, all the other parents in the town. If I did something wrong, guess what? My mom and dad knew about it before I got home. And when I first came to faith in Christ, the hardest thing for my dad was, it was embarrassing for him. I think he would rather I have lived like I was living and the stories he heard going on while I was a teenager. But to be, a, be the father of a preacher, it was hard for him. But he still loved me and he still embraced me. But you know, there were other family members, extended families, that when we would come in to, for like Christmas, guess what would happen? <laughs> the minute Leanne and I walked into the room, people would get up and go to another room. So we'd go into that room. <laughs> and guess what they did? They went up and got up and went to another room. Which Leanne and I got up, went to the other room. Now, that was kind of a fun game for us uh, because we realized that people, you know, they just, I don't, I think they thought I was going to get up and throw the Bible at them. Now, 18 years later, my mom and dad comes to faith in Christ and I think a lot of my other extended family became okay with me being religious. It was my friends that I got in trouble with the most that had the hardest time because they wanted the old Randy to come back. And they knew that if they embraced what I was embracing, they would have to make major changes in their life and they weren't ready for that. Matter of fact, my best friend said, putting your faith and trust in Jesus that you talk about, that's for old people. And I said, Kurt, not just old people. It's for anybody. And Jesus has a way of transforming lives. That's his whole message here. That's what you're going to hear over these next several weeks. And as you come here, 
you may be still chained to the past. And I just want you to know this morning that Jesus comes to set us free. Our past, our future is not defined by our past. I think the third thing he invites us to do is to proclaim the good news. To proclaim the gospel. And expect rejection. How many of you, when you went, maybe as you were younger, did door-to-door work? And you go up and knock on, the, knock on the door, and you knew there were people in there, but they wouldn't come to the door. That was followed up years, maybe not even years later, when you had people knocking at your door, and you wouldn't go. Why do I say that? Because I think in a lot of ways, we try to be so safe, we don't want to face rejection. So we just rather stay silent. We've got great news. And so I should expect that there are going to be people, and it could be family, could be church leaders, who cannot embrace the journey, the gospel that I'm talking about. But there could also be those in my oikos. There are people in my oikos who when I began to share my story was like, oh. But I had one guy that when I, in my oikos, when I shared with him about my story, he said, man, that's, that's quite a story. He never continued on from there, but he was my next door neighbor, but I constantly, I'd shared with him my own personal story, but I let the relationship continue to build. I hadn't played it safe. I could have said something else, but I didn't. So what I want to say to all of us this morning as we come to a close, Jesus could have given us a safe message by just get up and preach and, and, and everybody said, oh, that's just such a great message. And, um, and everybody could have been happy. Loved his preaching. But when Jesus spoke truth and challenged people's hearts, the rejection came. And rejection continued to follow him the rest of his life. He gave us an example. So what I say to us, if you're afraid to speak the gospel, share the gospel, your story, and how you're engaged it with other people, you're being too safe. it really hasn't impacted you the way that it should. Let's pray. Father, there's something about rejection. There's something about hometown challenges. the way we've lived in the past, 
mistakes we've made, things we did to other people that people can't forget, they can't get over. And Lord, today we want to stand thanking you for forgiving us, restoring us, rebuilding us, renewing us, and shaping us into people who are totally different than the person who made those mistakes back years ago. And Lord, if there are people here this morning that are still chained to that, they can't get over it. Their future is still being defined by those mistakes. I'm thankful that the gospel news that Jesus proclaims is to set people free. Because he whom the Son sets free is free indeed. So Lord, help us today to be open, to be responsive, and not to allow fear to hold us back, but to surrender it all to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the servers to come to the table. As they're coming, I can't think of a better time to take communion than today. Jesus Jesus was rejected because of his message. He gave us this example. He didn't play it safe, and that's why when we gather around the table here to take communion, this is just a good reminder that Jesus didn't play it safe. And aren't you glad? So we here at LAFC celebrate communion in open communion, meaning you don't have to be a member here. As long as you placed your faith and trust in Christ, we ask you to join us in remembering what Christ did for us. If you're here and you've just kind of been rejecting, you're kind of like one of those people in the synagogue that day that it was a great message, but then all of a sudden things started turning and you couldn't see yourself needing that message. Then just let it pass by and spend some time just thinking about what stands in the way. Once you receive the elements, we just ask you to hold on to them and, uh, and then we'll all take together.
night in the upper room, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. Let's do it together. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup represents the blood of a new covenant. A new relationship now has been formed. Then he said, take, drink, and remembrance of me. Let's do it together. Heavenly Father, Thank you for not choosing a safe route. You faced this world head on. You took everything that man could throw at you. And you went to a cross. And there you paid the price for the sins of the whole. And three days later, after you were resurrected, the price and the continuation that life now is eternal. Sins are paid for. Sins can be forgiven. Lord, may we today remember that great price that was paid. And thank you for not playing safe. For it's in Jesus' name. Are you glad that Jesus didn't play it safe? You know, we don't have to continue to be chained to the past. Your life's not defined by all those mistakes of the past. Jesus came to set us free. He came to transform us. He came to shape our lives to become fruitful in his kingdom work. You may be rejected, expected. But the, the gospel message we have to proclaim is great news. Not bad news. Not fake news. It's great news. This week, go in peace and enjoy proclaiming.